Real people, real stories, real insight, and all straight from the horse's mouth. If it's equestrian, it's on another installment of Under the Saddle with Adam Cromarty. Welcome to a new year and a new episode of Under the Saddle. Now, I hope you've all had a great festive season and are ready for a fantastic 2020. I've been at home for the last few weeks and it's absolutely freezing, but I am just about to head to a show in Mexico and boy, am I ready for some sunshine. Now, just before I introduce you to the guest on this edition, a quick reminder to hit subscribe and that you can get involved with the conversation. If you search Adam Cromarty on Instagram, you can follow me on there and also, of course, drop me a message. Let me know who you'd like to hear from on future editions. Now, it's a bit of a first and under the saddle because, as I said, I've been at home for the last few weeks and, quite frankly, it's tough to find riders kicking about the house. But luckily, I've been in the studio quite a lot and joining me on the phone is Holly Smith, who's had an amazing season from personal victories and leading rider titles to helping Team GB qualify for the Tokyo Olympic Games. So it's the first edition of the year. Normally, uh, we record these at shows. It's a bit different. I'm at a studio in Manchester. So what are you up to today? Um, I am just training the horses at home. Yeah, just a normal run-of-the-mill day at home. And what is your kind of normal day? I'm assuming it's busy because you're a mum and you're a wife and a rider and... Yeah, yeah, it's very, very busy. Um, so I try and get up as early as I can. It's a new thing for me to make sure I'm fed before anybody. Um, the horses are fed, not I'm fed. The horses are fed before any of the staff get on the yard. So otherwise, it's just a massive waste of time for people standing around waiting for horses to eat. So I sure. get fed before 6.30, often um, earlier than help with the yard work at the, mo- at the moment. We've got a lot of horses in at the moment. And we need another member of staff. So <laughs> I'm working hard at the moment. Um, then Rosie, Graham, my husband, he wakes her up, sends her out to do her pony. Um, I help her with that. Then we go back in, have breakfast, rush any of the homework that's due in for <laughs> that day. Um, and then after school we go and I normally start riding um, when I get back about 10 past nine um sometimes earlier if we haven't got so many in i'll get some ridden before she goes to school and then i've only really got until half past three when i pick her up i'll make sure my riding's done by them because you have to kind of travel so much is that a conscious decision that you try and do the school run um yeah i I think definitely it is it's it's not the school run as such but it's the time that you spend before and after and the discussions you have and that type of thing yeah I, I, i do try and do it as much as i can I do need help sometimes. Graham's mum and dad live opposite her mm. school, so if I'm stuck, then I can just buy myself an extra hour or so by getting them to pick her up. And we've got to go back to when, when you were her age, when you were little and growing up. What was that like? Um, yes, I had a lot of opportunities. My parents always really um, tried the best to give me every opportunity in any way, shape or form to do, um, you know, what I wanted to do um but they were quite insistent I was very competitive I had to mm. win okay. <laughs> it was not non-optional it didn't matter whether it was pony club or music or anything it didn't matter um, yeah so I've, I've always been brought up say a lot of opportunities but I've always been expected to do well <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming that was the same with your school exams as well because you kind of disappeared from the yep. sport a little bit um yep. when you were doing school exams yes yeah definitely I mean we never took um, doing ponies that seriously I was lucky that my mum's a, a great horsewoman so I grew up sort of doing everything what I think is the right way 
Um, you know, I haven't had a massive turnaround in my riding um, from when I was a child, which mm. is really, really helpful. Um, and we always just bought and sold a few ponies. We always, you know, it, it was expected to pay for itself, um, not to be something that was going to cost us a fortune. So my, you know, my mum and dad have got normal jobs. My mum's a midwife. Um, okay. You know, we're from, an, you know, I'm from a normal family. Um, normal, yeah, sort of working family. Mm. Now that you've mentioned your mum was a midwife, we've got to ask, so when you were having Rosie, was that helpful yeah. or was it a nightmare? <laughs> oh, it was a source of great argument at the time because <laughs> she works at Leicester General and I, uh, our farm's sort of halfway between Nottingham and Leicester and I decided that I couldn't think of anything worse than all my mum's mates looking at that type of thing. So I booked in at Nottingham um, at the QMC. Um, my mum was really not very happy. I bet. So, it, yeah, I resisted for a long time, but in the end, I did swap. And in the end, yeah, she did have something to do with. So she was <laughs> there because the, yes, yeah, yeah, she was there in the end. Um, but I think when you're in that type of pain, what no, nothing matters anymore. Nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing <laughs> can enter it. Yeah. When Rosie um, was born, I don't. It, I think Dougie Douglas was a five-year-old. Okay. Yeah, he was a five-year-old, definitely. And I was just doing, like, dealing horses, basically. Mm. Hunters, eventers, anything that would sell, cobs, anything, anything just to make money. Like, that's that's sure. how I started out. Um, and, yeah, he, he he was only that age. And I think up until when children have to go to school, it's actually quite easy because you can just take them everywhere. Which yeah, absolutely. There's the added complication of having to look after them, but at least you've not got time constraints. So, actually, it worked well. And now she's old enough. Um, she just she just mixes in very well. Like she'll stay with her grandparents, and you know, Graham will look after her. I'll look after her. Mm. Anybody, like she'll go anywhere, do anything. Um, yeah, it's a lot lot easier now. Um, and you mentioned um, sort of Dougie Douglas. So we've got to talk yep. about when you changed to becoming a pure show jumper because for the first part of your career, yes. it wasn't really all about show jumping. No, it's just it, it was about um, first of all making money, and second of all like. We sold a few sort of local horses quite well. I did quite well just doing like low level B90, 100 events on them and making good money on them. Mm. And Graham, like he's always good at looking at the bigger picture. He said, you know, I think you're better than this. Like we need to go and try and, you know, look a bit further afield for some better horses, yeah. better class of horse and take them a bit further and make a bit more money basically. Um, so we decided to go to Goresbridge Horse Sales and it was coming up to their big September sale um, there. Yeah. So I booked some tickets to go and over we went and we bought five horses when we went there and Dougie Douglas was one of them. I can remember somebody saying we, we bought him as an event prospect really. Okay. Um which he would which he would have done as well. He he would have done that job. Um I remember somebody saying to me, they said, uh, Oh, it looks a bit more of a show jumper to me than an inventor. I don't know what you're gonna do with that and Graham mm. just turned looked at me and said, You wouldn't mind doing a bit more jumping, would you? I said, No, I wouldn't. I don't mind as long as it's a good horse. And yeah. that, that was that. <laughs> and he just like from the moment he came over, he got a very, very bad cold actually when he came over and ringworm, I think, as usual. Mm. Yeah. Um so it took him a month or so, yeah, to to get over all of that. But he was I think he I'd have to look at his record, but I just I used to take him out on my own in the little Equitrack we had, and I'd take him around to first of all clear around at Western Lawns, and then mm. to BS shows. He just jumped clear and clear and clear and clear, like he just never had a fence, and he was so so balanced. Um, I did everything with him really. I did some eventing on him. 
I did a few days hunting on him. He did some interhunt relays. He did everything, but we always thought he was going to be a jumper. Um, maybe, I don't know whether we thought he was going to be that good, but he just never gave us any reason for doubt and just kept going all the way through. He had the most fantastic technique and the most fantastic attitude. So I feel very blessed to have found him at the time that I did. And was it a conscious decision to do all those extra things? Do you always do those with your young horses to try and give them a sort of good grounding? Yeah, well, I think I think most of all, like it broadens the horizons a bit. And yeah. if it turned out that he got to Fox Hunter and he wasn't, you know, going to be a, a top class jumper, then he's already got a good base level of education there. They can go on to be, you know, good quality hunters and go on to be eventers. Like Piggy French's horse, the Quarry Crest Echo horse. I had that till it was six. Mm-hmm. Like we bought that as a jumping prospect. Um, and again, we did the same with him. We did all of the um, cross-country schooling. You know, I jumped him up to, I think, 125. Yeah. And then because he'd done all of that, I could quickly swap him over to eventing. And I did a few events on him and then sold him as an eventer. Um, mm. But it just means it's an easy transfer. And I think physically it does them good and mentally it does them good. So it's, you know, it's win-win. And with Dougie Douglas, I mean, you went to Nations Cups, Grand Prix, the Derby trial at Hickstead. Given that yeah. kind of journey, I mean, it must have been really emotional. How did you decide that it was time to part company? Um, I think it was always the plan at some point. I feel um, sort of very blessed the support I had from Graham. And he just sort of, everybody used to say to him, oh, why don't you sell it? He said, well, I don't know how good my horse is yet. And I don't know how good my jockey is. So mm. when we think that one of them has reached the limit, then we'll we'll, we'll sell it, you know, pronto. Um and actually, like, at the end of his first year at Grand Prix, when he was nine, I think it was, we probably could have got more money for him then than what we actually did. Um, but we made a decision for me to keep him another year, really get some mileage at that level, um, just get the experience, did some five stars on him, and, yeah, it was a great decision. And Graham said to me, he said, you know, I, I know you, you don't want to sell him, but he said, I promise you I'll find you something as good, if not better. And he did. So it all worked out. <laughs> You've mentioned kind of trying to make money and it being a business and stuff. And it was reported yeah. that you sold him for 1.4 million euros. That yeah, must be correct. a kind of life changing amount, really, considering you bought him for, was it like 6,000 um, euro or something? Yeah, 5,500. <laughs> mm. it, it is and it isn't. I still live the same life. Um, we put up a fantastic indoor arena at home. We did a lot of concreting. I bought myself a lorry, put a bit away. And apart from that, life is the same. Yeah, I mean, people always think that's a huge amount of money, but with horses and travelling and trying yeah. to keep that string going, it, it really doesn't go too far. No, exactly. No, we, we never we sort of used it to give us a leg up facilities wise. Um, but again, like we expect it to make money. It's a business. It's not mm. a hobby. You know, we have to make money. Like even now, I think we've got about 25 horses in. You know, most of them are horses that are paying or horses in to be sold. You know, and run it as a as a business. And how many horses have you got on your string at the moment? Oh, oh I don't actually know. <laughs> about <laughs> a, a sort of open level five. Um, okay. And then we've got some young ones, some four, five, six-year-olds. Don't know whether I've got any seven-year-olds. Yes, one seven-year-old. Um, but sort of relatively um, small amount of horses actually jumping. You know, we have a real variety. But probably the best string you've ever had, really. Oh yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a real privilege to have them. Um, I couldn't have a better bunch, really, especially now with the addition of Denver. 
Um, but I love a lot of good horses, sort of up to 150, um, you know, three or four of them. But he's another one that I think can probably scale the heights of Heart's Destiny. And that makes a massive difference. Takes the pressure off Heart's Destiny. And it's been a, a sort of great few months. You were leading rider uh, at Olympia, then went on to Liverpool. Did fantastically well there. Where are you off to next? Yeah. Where's the... Um, so I am jumping at Amsterdam next week um there's a five-star show there i find it better with my horses just to sort of keep them up and running and keep them ticking over um so i'll do that and then i go for the last four weeks to the sunshine tour in the head of frontera <coughs> sorry um so i'll take five of the open horses there and just rotate them a bit and get the sun on the backs and make sure we're ready for the off the main outdoor season and do you take your daughter Rosie with you when you go away for four weeks? No, I can't because she's in proper school, um, oh, no. and it's a yeah, yeah, it's, it's a real problem if you take them out. So no, I don't. Her half term does normally lie within Sunshine Tour, so we'll probably look at that. Maybe coming out for three or four days. How do you think you're going to cope being away from her? Oh. Oh, I'm used to it. We do it every year. I normally do okay. it in, in, in. Normally, it's only a week at a time, but normally in the spring and the autumn, I'm away sort of four or five um, weeks. I always hate going away when I'm away for three or four weeks. I hate going away, but once I get there and once you get busy, you never kind of forget yeah. about them, but you're just kind of so focused on what you're doing. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, exactly. And we're, we're well used to it. You know, it's like water off a duck's back with her. Mm. <laughs> yeah, she's not bothered. We, we have everything sorted, so it doesn't matter if I'm away. Well, one of the, the sort of trips you went last year was to the to the Europeans, um, helping yep. Great Britain qualify for the Olympics. That must have been yep. some feeling. Yeah, it was. It was quite a um, difficult build-up. Um, I broke my collarbone quite badly not that long before. Mm. Um, I hadn't had the best form, actually, earlier on in the season with Nations Cups. I think I had you know, a bit of a steady start to the year with the horses. The horse better kept in work, kept nice and light. Um so you know, I was I was a little bit worried earlier on in the year, um, but then it just all seemed to come together. You know, everything worked out well. We had got quite a few shows planned before I did um, with the Europeans, and that all went down the pan mm. because of my collarbone. Um, Emily Chandler, who's my who's an event rider, she came and um, she's a BES flat work coach. So she came. She lives quite locally. She came and rode in for me quite a bit. So it was going even better on the flat. I spent a lot of time in the gym on the bike and that type of thing yeah. because that's all I could do with my collarbone. And then we went out and won at Dublin, um, the Nations Cup there. He jumped a fantastic play, and everything just seemed to click into place. Like, like we did it, and mm. I, I, I felt like I knew we were going to do it as well. I don't know. It was just the most sort of surreal build-up and ending. <laughs> Only when we had done it, I thought, "Oh my God, how did we? How did we do that?" <laughs> and the next morning, when you wake up, is there a kind of second you kind of forget and then remember? How does it feel knowing <laughs> that you you kind of helped your country qualify? Yeah, definitely. So I, I always have that moment when I wake up and I just <laughs> always think to myself, hmm, "What happened yesterday?" Mm. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was a nice feeling. I, I was pleased. And that doesn't automatically mean that you get to go to the Olympics, though, does it? No, As no, a not a chance. No, <laughs> no. I mean, I put myself in a, in, in a good position. Um, oh. I think I was second best out of the team there. But that, that means nothing. You know, the whole year is going to happen. People will be getting new horses. You know, I've got to maintain form. Um, yeah, it means absolutely nothing. But I'll just do as I always do, try and, you know, 
have my horses going as well as I can, make sure I enjoy the sport and just see where it, it takes us. I find that's the best way. If I get too sort of results driven, it makes me miserable. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you think of the new Olympic format? Are you a fan? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't mind it too much because I think it rewards consistency. Okay. Um, and that's what my horse is, hopefully. Mm. Um I think that, you know, there's a substitution system where you can substitute, I think, is it two hours before the competition? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. I mean, the fact that it cuts down the numbers that can actually jump, you know, probably rings alarm bells a bit because it's one less chance to get there. But and again, as I said, and, and, yeah, and, unless my horse is going brilliantly and I'm one of the best three, then I don't want to go. You know, I'd rather somebody else go because it's about the country and the sport it's not about me and one of the the kind of biggest things that's been leading up uh, in the last few weeks is the amount of nations that have been disqualified um due to drugs we don't want to name any names or anything but how how yeah. careful do you have to be um with sort of um not just for you but but also for the horses as well yeah very very careful we have to keep it i mean i try and keep it very very simple with the horses and with myself very very simple and i just have to you know make sure we keep all the records make sure we ask the questions um you know obviously so far mm. so good but it is an obvious obvious worry um and security in stables is not great you know you're in the hands of the gods really <laughs> yeah that's something that people have been mentioning as well that the even yeah. at fei shows sometimes it's a bit dubious whether you know when you yeah. go back to the hotel well, at night or everybody whatever. so if i go to a five-star show with um three horses Mm. I can give passes to, I think, six owners and they can just go in the stables and do what they want. Yeah. You know, it, it, it doesn't, you know, you're not restricted to just being around your horse. Um, they can go do what they want, straight what they want, feed what they want. And yeah, it's very worrying. You know, I have no control over somebody else takes in the stables. And that applies to other riders as well. And you'd always like to think that no other yeah. rider would ever go down that route. But really, once you're yeah, in that stable and you, you're, you're free. Yeah, yeah, you just, you just never know. And again, like, there's nothing really that I can do. So, mm. yeah, just hope for the best. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yes, uh, I know. You mentioned injuries as well, and you've been a bit unlucky yep. over the years with various injuries. Yeah, I would say, I don't like to use the word luck. Um, probably all of them have been my fault, to be honest. <laughs> That's honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, it's true. Um, so you broke your leg in 2017, is that right? Yeah, and 2012. I've done pretty much the same injury both times, so I have two really quite stiff ankles. We do something uh, called a knee-to-wall exercise to test ankle flexibility mm. at our training. Um, and yeah, mine's in the negative numbers on one side. You know, I can't get it to the wall at all. I've got my toe there. But I've learned to cope. Like, it wasn't always necessarily really easy to begin with you know probably not as secure in my lower leg as I used to be um you know but I've learned a system and it copes and I'd probably I'd, I'd like to think nobody really notices but actually when you look at me I do ride with quite a like not without my heels down but with quite mm. a you know not as much angle as most people do there I'm gonna watch um, out for that now yeah. Now that you've mentioned it. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't help. And what about kind of mentally? Do you ever struggle to kind of try and stay positive when things aren't going well? Or Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, definitely. But I think 
what we have to um, try and remember is that's normal. Like nobody feels mega motivated and mega positive all the time. And as long as we, I find as long as I like realise that that is normal, uh, it, you know, it, it doesn't. Because a lot of the time when you feel negative, then you think, oh, why do I feel like this? And it makes it even worse. Mm. And actually now I just say to myself, you know, it's, it's normal. Um, you know, try and pick out the positives. Um, and it just makes it a lot better. Um, yeah, I, I, people struggle with different things, and it's just trying to control those emotions and learn learn how to work your brain a bit better. It, it can really help. And something that has changed in the sport over the last few years is media. And I've noticed on social media and stuff, you're becoming more and more active. Is that a kind of conscious choice that you've made? Yeah, definitely. Um, my friend Becky Harold, she helps me with that as well. She gives me a lot of ideas. Um, yeah, it's something that I try and do. Um, how much good it does me, I don't know. But if it helps inspire a few people and helps with their horses, then that's great. And do you follow anyone that we should be looking out for on Instagram and stuff? Any influencers or other riders that you think are really good on there? Uh, Get you on the spot, oh man. God, you put, you, yeah, you've, you've really put me on the spot there. Crowley's <laughs> very good on there. Okay. Um, you get a real sort of insight to what it's like to be a rider, you know, going, you know, a lot of different shows, a lot of different training, looking at horses is very professional sort of social media that he's got set up there. And finally, we've got to ask you, what do you get up to when you're not riding, you're not working, you're not being a mum? Have you got any kind of hobbies? Where do you go on holiday? What do you do when you're um, not, not riding? I'm desperate. I'm that worried about hurting myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, giving you track record, then, yeah. <laughs> I know, yeah. Then I thought I maybe thought like I'd like to go on a diving holiday. You know, like mm-hmm. learn to do the like proper scuba diving. But then you've got to like you've got to pass all the course, and yeah. I don't want to go on holiday to spend my days in a classroom. So I was looking into getting it done at home. But then like January doesn't you know lend itself well to no, scuba diving probably in England. <laughs> So it's a thought, but I, yeah, I don't really have any real desire to um, spend weeks and weeks away from home. I enjoy what I do. Hmm. Um, I like going to Ireland, to be honest, looking at horses. We stay in a little town in Kilkenny, myself and Graham go. Yeah. Um, you know, some, we know some nice places out to eat and get to look at horses. So it's an ideal little mini break for us. Are you going to venture to Disney World or anything soon now that Rosie's at that age? Oh, we've already been oh, you've about been. two okay. years ago. Yeah, we've already we've done been. that. It, it was all right. Hopefully she enjoyed it. But yeah, it's just not really our type of thing, you know. Yeah, and you're always bad. worried about the horses <laughs> and what's going on and the next show. and. Yeah, yeah. Th- th- there is a lot of responsibility there, having a, you know, a lot of other people's horses on the place and just having animals in general. It's, it's a big responsibility. Well, given how busy you are, I better let you get back to it. But thank you very much. No problem. Thank you. Well, that's it for another edition. Don't forget to subscribe and you can also catch up on other episodes with names like Eric Lamaz, Georgina Bloomberg, Jeff Billington, Daniel Coyle and Jessica Phoenix. Uh, Follow me and message me on Instagram if you want to get involved. Good luck if you're out competing over the next week or two. I'm off to the World Cups in Guadalajara, Palm Beach and Leon, and I'm sure there'll be some great podcast guests to grab along the way. Tune in again next time. If it's equestrian, it's on Under the Saddle with Adam Cromarty.